You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a mentor of mine. He's a lifelong pastor with all of the wisdom and experience in the world. And he also has just the most generous spirit of anyone I know. I've never heard him say a bad word about anyone. Um, he always believes the best in people, which I love about him. And he always asks me really, really hard questions. And so I both look forward to and dread speaking with him every month. On this particular day, a couple of weeks ago, he was asking me, helping me picture what my life could look like if I really, truly lived in the way that God is calling me to live. Just a little question, you know, something small. (laughs) He was asking if I could think of an example of someone I knew who lives this way. And initially, my response was frustration because we had spent already the better part of our hour-long conversation wrestling and wondering about this together and kind of coming up short. And so part of me wanted to say, I don't know, why don't you tell me? You know everything. (laughs) Just tell me. (laughs) But after I took a moment to collect myself, my heart was able to hear what my ears did not want to in his question, and I immediately thought of Marty. So Marty was a woman who was a part of the church that I grew up in. She is a nurse and a wife and a mother and a very devoted woman of God. You might call her a woman after God's own heart. She was in my parents' Sunday school class, and so I saw her almost every week growing up. And when she wasn't working as a nurse, God bless nurses, uh, she was often volunteering at the church, usually with the children and youth of our church, which at the time included me, And so, um, even from when I was a child, I knew there was something really different about her. Something that I hadn't encountered in another person before. She was just this wonderful figure of joy and kindness and this deep and abiding peace. Later on, uh, when I was in college, I actually worked as an intern at this church, and so she and I got to be um, on mission trip teams together with our youth group. We got to serve together, which was really cool, kind of full circle there. And I remember uh, when you uh, go on a church mission trip, you kind of sleep on the ground at a church somewhere, and so I remember waking up in a deflated air mattress uh, to the sound of her prayers coming from the next room over early in the morning. Um, Early morning prayers, kind of her thing. When I decided to go to seminary, when I was discerning what was next for me, uh, Marty invested in my education, and she uh, offered me support and encouragement and constant prayer. And she also held me accountable to being the person that God was calling me to be, to helping me figure that out. In fact, uh, one year during the season of Lent, Marty, who I'm convinced has a direct line to God, the rest of us don't, Uh, She told me that God told her, it was like this game of holy telephone, Um, she told me that God told her to tell me that I was supposed to pray for our pastor for 40 days every single day. That's a lot of prayer. But I said, yes, ma'am, and I did it. Because when Marty tells you to do something, you know it's coming straight from the Lord, so you better do it. (laughs) But here's the thing about Marty. 
if we were to look at her life laid out for us on a sheet of paper, we would see the life of your average American woman. She is a middle-class, working medical professional with a husband and a son and a mortgage and a car and uh, who's a, a member of a local faith community, right? If we looked at her life, uh, to us it would seem normal, average, maybe even ordinary. But somehow Marty has become someone I and many others would call a saint, even in the midst of the ordinariness of her life. And I believe that's because Marty has devoted most of her life to one very particular kind of work. Work that changes you if you do it long enough. And that work is the work of healing. And working as a nurse and caring for the sick and the hurt in binding up their wounds, literally, in attending to them until they're healed, Marty has herself become a healer an ordinary person with this extraordinary power to fix what is broken, to make whole what has been split apart, to heal what has been hurt. I've been thinking a lot recently about what makes us who we are, what makes us do what we do, because you and I are constantly confronted with these stories about people doing the unimaginable. Mostly, it's the unimaginably bad, right? But sometimes it's the unimaginably good, too. I've been wondering what on earth could possibly compel someone to use a deadly weapon to take the lives of other people, but I've also been wondering what would make someone act in a truly selfless and sacrificial way for the sake of others. And what I believe it comes down to is this really simple truth that hurt people hurt people. It's cheesy and it's trite, but it's true. All of the best wisdom from the mental health field tells us that hurt and pain and brokenness, it comes in these cycles that are nearly impossible to escape or to stop without help. In addition to that, it also tells us that we carry the trauma of our ancestors in our DNA. It's with us all the time. We are all hurt people. We all have the capacity to hurt people. You and I see this constantly on display. Even here in the year of our Lord, 2022, when we are technically the best that we have ever been before. And yet, we often revert back to the worst versions of ourselves, don't we? We've made more medical and technological advances than ever before in all of human history. It's estimated that global poverty is at its lowest rate in all of human history right now. We are more connected and engaged with one another. We're more educated than we've been at any other point in human history. By all measures, we are better than we have ever been before, all of us. So often it doesn't feel that way. In fact, the world we live in doesn't look all that different from the world that we are introduced to in the book of Isaiah. You see, in the first 10 chapters, we read about how the great nation of Israel, once the pride of God, has slowly 
and systematically been destroyed from the inside out. Isaiah reveals all the ways this is true. It says that Israel is filled with rebellious people who commit unrelenting bloodshed and who are misled by their leaders under wicked laws that perpetuate injustice. Yikes. Isaiah says this, he says, everyone's head throbs and everyone's heart fails. From head to toe, none are well. Only bruises, cuts, and raw wounds, not treated, not bandaged, not soothed. These are hurt people. And when the Lord shows the prophet Isaiah, the people of God, all together, what he sees, all that remains of the great house of David, son of Jesse, is this deeply wounded people, this seemingly dead stump where there was once a giant, fruitful, thriving tree. And so in the midst of this chaos and destruction of the first chapters of Isaiah, our passage for today is as surprising as a little shoot growing out of a stump. That's what Isaiah says. Or a branch sprouting up from dead roots. The surprising promise that bursts forward in this moment is a reminder to the people of God. It is a reminder to us that we are yet alive, even though it feels like we're dead. That we are still human, that there is still hope for something better to come. Hurt people do hurt people, but what we learn in Isaiah, what we learn in the life of Jesus is that healed people also heal people. Such is the way of my friend Marty. Such is the way of resurrection. Such is the way of Jesus who never ever leaves us even when it seems like we are all but dead. That is the surprising promise of Isaiah. That is the hope that Isaiah offers to us in this vision of this far-off future that we are still waiting for here today. Now and always this season of Advent, this season of anticipation, it reminds us that shoot, that branch, that promise is Jesus. He is the child who Isaiah says will lead us into the future. He is the one upon whom the spirit of the Lord will rest. It says, just like it did for those other kings and leaders, but even more so, more perfectly than ever before. He is the one who will show us the way to build this peaceful future Isaiah shares with us. It won't be easy. In fact, it'll be really, really, really hard. (laughs) It's kind of the promise, too. But we'll know that we're headed in the right direction when we begin to see the sprouts of something new coming up around us. Now, what's really interesting is that this new way isn't actually all that new, right? It was um, revealed, it arrived, it was made incarnate in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's been around a bit. But we haven't been able to capture it. We haven't been able to understand this new way. And so this Advent and the season of anticipating the coming Christ as we're thinking about this new way that Jesus calls us to, that's actually really a very old way, this new way that is so desperately needed in this world that is so clearly governed by the old way. This path that we're being invited to walk is one that has been walked before. 
once. And we have a companion with us even now leading us forward into the future from here. So the way is new for us, but for the one who leads it, it's the only way he's ever known. It's new, but the whole of Jesus' life was meant to show us the way to be human. And so the key for us now is just to remember that way that was taught to us, shared with us, shown to us. So how do we do that? That's the question. You know, one of the most common questions that I get asked as a pastor is, in all your time that you've spent studying scripture, what's the most surprising thing? What's the most unexpected thing that you've learned? And my answer is always the same. I've learned that Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to die. Maybe that seems obvious to you, but that's not really what I've been taught before. It was shocking to me. Now, yes, Jesus does teach us how to die. Uh, This is the same man who says that in order to follow him, we have to take up our crosses, right? Those crosses that we wear around our necks and put on the back of our cars are actually Roman torture devices. It's a little strange. (laughs) Death is kind of a huge part of our faith, right? But before that death Somewhere between manger and cross, Jesus teaches us how to live. Jesus teaches us what it looks like when we are the most like the people that God created us to be, when we are fully and completely human. Jesus teaches us the new way of life that Isaiah could only dream and wonder about all those years ago. It looks like speaking words of truth, gathering and community together. Healing those who are sick and suffering, offering dignity to every single person that we meet, and seeking peace, even and maybe especially in the face of great violence. It looks like following the lead of children and honoring women and making space for the outcasts and laying down our weapons turning the whole order of things upside down. Yes, Jesus teaches us how to die, but he also teaches us how to live the kind of life that can never truly be killed. This new way to be human, this way to hold on to our humanity in a world that is trying so hard to take it from us. Just going to be confessional here, completely honest. These days, I find myself questioning whether I have any faith left in humanity. Sometimes it takes a truly extraordinary act of kindness or goodness or love to restore even just the smallest bit of faith in us. And I would be willing to bet that you lose faith in us sometimes too. But here's the important thing. Our faith in us isn't actually the faith that matters most. Is it helpful? Sure, absolutely. Our faith in us is what gives us the ability to be kind and gracious and loving. It helps us become the kind of people that Isaiah talks about, people who can live together in peace, even with those who would be our natural-born enemies, just like he says. So keep your faith in us if you can, if it can survive in these harsh conditions It can be the little 
shoot coming out of our collective stump, right? But the truly good news for us today is that God never loses faith in humanity. God never loses faith in you and me. God never needs to be inspired by some kind act. God never sits around wondering if maybe we've all just been bad from the start. We may lose faith in ourselves and even faith in God. But God never loses faith in us. And the way that we know this is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the human one, came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's John 3.17. No one ever reads it. But there's more, and it gets better. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The world. All of it. And the way that Jesus does that, the way that he saves us is by showing us, reminding us, inspiring us, and ultimately calling us to spend our lives trying to figure out not how to become God, but how to become truly, fully and wholly human, which was God's purpose for us from the start. And so remembering the way laid out by Isaiah and lived out for us by Jesus is our work. It's the work we must do. It's the work of Advent. It's the work of our lives. The way we are most human is when we are remembered. Do you hear that? Remembered, when we are put back together again when we are healed, when we are made whole, when we who are wolves can find ways to live in peace with those who are lambs, when we allow ourselves to be led by this child who hundreds of years before his birth, the people of God knew would be the best of us, the most human of us all, this child who would come to lead us in becoming the people God created us to be. Until he arrives, their job, the people of God, and our job, is to wait with expectant hope for his arrival. And in the meantime, to follow this way that he has laid out before us. Earlier this week, my friend Brooke and I had the opportunity to join in an online vigil of sorts that was hosted by a colleague of mine here in the conference uh, in response to the Club Q shooting that took place on November 20th in Colorado Springs. It was this last-minute event hosted online for the sake of connecting people from wherever. And it ended up being about 15 of us, a group of mostly strangers, from this general area, gathering to create space for grief, and then if we could find it together, some hope too. So we prayed, and we read scripture, and then we had the chance to reflect about what happened. And what followed was this deeply anguished time of lament. We heard in one another's voices the immense grief, the shock, the loss of hope. We heard Parents express fear for the lives of their children. We heard community leaders express 
a sense of exhaustion and numbness because these kinds of events just keep happening. And we heard from members of the LGBTQ plus community who just expressed devastation. It was heartbreaking. And it convinced me that those kinds of spaces don't happen enough given all that you and I are supposed to carry these days. All that grieves us. All that seeks to steal our humanity from us. But then inexplicably, something kind of shifted. Something changed. One person shared about the hope that they had found. And then we all did. Hope, courage, what gives us the fortitude to face this uncertain future, those things that give us hope. And so our tears of sorrow turned into tears of gratitude as we expressed our thanks to one another. We're so grateful because we were willing to create this space to be together, to put one another back together. That was the hope. Our gathering itself was the hope that we found. I was reminded again of wisdom from one of my favorite authors, Toni Morrison, who in her essay called The Source of Self-Regard writes this. She says, there must be no more apologies for a bleeding heart when the opposite is no heart at all. Danger of losing our humanity must be met with more humanity. What we did on Zoom on Tuesday night was one of the most human things that I've done in a really, really long time. In our shared grief and fear and numbness and hope, we were being remembered. We were being put back together again in this moment when each of us was in danger of losing our humanity, we met one another with more humanity. Only it wasn't just our humanity we encountered that evening. And what we read, and what we felt, and what we shared, we were met with the humanity of Jesus the one who shows us this new way to be human. It is a way that is characterized by everything the prophet Isaiah dreamed about, by compassion and righteousness, by peace and hope, by laying down power, by safety and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. It is a way that makes us whole again by bringing all of us together, wolves and lambs, leopards and goats, cows and bears, and even human beings. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.